0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being, and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa demattis Lapore and Ann Baldwin.
2: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. Hopefully, uh, this morning finds you well, safe, and sane. <laughs> For me, that's been the biggest challenge of this whole thing. I'm Ann Baldwin, one of the hosts of your program, and I'm very happy to have with us Outside of our studio today, remotely, Beth Connor, who's the chief administrator for The Connection. Beth, it's good to uh, at least be able to talk to you.
1: Yeah, good morning, Ian. At least we're uh, able to connect.
2: That's right, you know, and that's what this is all about. I think everybody's, that's been the biggest challenge here, but it's, you know, we're able to do things virtually. You know, the show must go on, if you will, so here we are. Well,
1: yeah, we're very fortunate, uh you know, we were talking. I was talking with my guest earlier, our guest, and uh thing if this happened ten years ago where where would we be? We I wouldn't know. be on this call right now, so uh we are fortunate that technology is where it's at today,
2: right. I just hope it doesn't stay this way when we go back to normal because I miss my hugs, man. I'm a hugger, I know, I really I am. know
1: and. People are are looking at that and saying, you know, how used to this are we going? Um, How will things go back? And I guess that remains to be seen.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you being here. You're always the force behind the show. You set up all of our great guests, including our next one. So I'm going to let you do the introductions, if you will.
1: Well, on the call, we actually have a guest from all the way from Washington, D.C., He is um, the new senior VP of policy for the Connecticut Hospital Association, Um, Paul Kidwell. And uh, unfortunately, because of COVID-19, he is still in DC, um, trying to move his family up here, but uh, taking a little bit of time. But Paul's um, role, and I'll let him talk a little bit about it, um, is to oversee all of the hospitals in Connecticut. And we know that uh, Our hospitals are doing the very difficult work day in and day out, caring for many, many patients. And uh, we thought it'd be great to get Paul's perspective on how the hospitals are holding up here in Connecticut and, um, you know, sort of what resources they they need and, um, you know, what we might be able to do to help and and support our healthcare workers.
2: So, Beth, did you just say that, Paul, um, you're new to this position? This is a new job for you?
0: It is. Wow. February. And, and what a job! What a
2: job it is. Well, welcome to the program, and you know how are how are hospitals doing, Paul?
0: Uh, listen, well, first, thank you for uh, uh, having me on, and it's um, a real honor to be able to talk to you uh, about uh, Connecticut's hospitals and, and what they're doing to uh, respond to the current crisis. And um, I think you know, hospitals are, are doing well, and um, you know, it's just it's a challenging time. Um, But as our uh, our CEO, Jennifer Jackson, uh, has said before, um, you know, hospitals, we train for these types of events um, uh, all year long. So there are certainly plans that are in place um, that we activate uh, to begin to deal with um, these types of events. Certainly, um, this is unprecedented. So it is uh, stretching um, our resources, uh, certainly, and um, presenting new challenges. But you know, Connecticut's hospitals are uh, up, up to the task.
2: Well, let, you know, I just read uh, there was a recent article in the Hartford Business Journal, um, and the headline actually said that the coronavirus is costing hospitals in Connecticut four hundred million million dollars mm-hmm. a month.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really stark. I mean, it's a it's a it's a stark number, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit about why, you know why that is. Um, because I think it, it's a little um, antithetical, right, Be, because you assume that we are having these patients come in and, um, for, for COVID. But um, what we did in preparation for the response was we uh, basically stopped all non-essential surgeries. So to the extent a surgery could wait, um, we, uh, we stopped those surgeries. And the reason is, is because uh, a, a couple things. Number one, we need to conserve space in the hospital facility, uh, certainly as um, the number of COVID patients increases. Um, but second, as, and as you've heard a lot in the news, we wanna conserve the uh, personal protective equipment, the PPE, I think as most people now know it, um, uh-huh. so that our healthcare workers uh, have that available to them when these COVID patients come in. Um, because as you know, um, uh, the, the, the virus itself is um, extremely transmittable, and the PPE is the sort of uh, thing that is helping our keep our healthcare workers uh, safe um, and able to stay in the hospital and uh, serve those patients. Um, but that's a long way to say um, we have we have emptied out uh, a lot of space in our hospitals. We're not doing the sort of norm, quote unquote normal things that you'd expect um, hospitals to do on a daily basis in some instances and that uh you know that it means a decline in a significant decline in revenue um not to uh, we should also think about the expenses that hospitals have incurred um in building out new um patient space in uh purchasing more ppe um and looking for things like ventilators so um it's a sort of perfect storm um and it's it's like you said stark it's hundreds of millions of dollars a month and Um, You know, but it's what we have to do to make sure that these patients are cared for.
1: Sure. And you talked a little bit about, Paul, that uh, you've had some plans in place. So, you know, you've had a crisis plan in place. What are the the, um, differences this time around?
0: The patients that are coming into the hospital with COVID, many of them are requiring um, a very acute level of care, you know, critical care setting. Um, So we have had, in many cases, to build out additional capacity rooms, um, in the uh, intensive care unit. Uh, additionally, you've heard that um, the, the patients um, certainly are coming in with severe respiratory issues and so that has um, created a need for additional uh, ventilators because unfortunately a number of these uh, pa- patients um, do need mechanical ventilation uh, at, at some point in their stay. Um, also, it's a it's a communicable it's a virus, right? And so it is very easily passed on um, between patients, between workers, uh, physicians versus hospital staff in general. And so the need for that personal protective equipment has really um, been enhanced. So it's a little bit different than say if you were uh, at, you know a blizzard or those types of uh, events where um, you know you may need uh, a lot of emergency care. In this case, we're needing. Um, pretty acute intensive care for a good bit of time for each of these patients. And that has uh, strained the capacity somewhat.
2: And if you're just tuning in or speaking with Paul Kidwell, he's with the Connecticut Hospital Association, um, the senior VP of policy. But, you know, it would seem to me with all of these people coming in that there would be more revenue coming in. Um, Is it, how does it work? I know, you know, when I've gone to the emergency room, you go to the hospital, the primary focus oftentimes feels like, you know, what's your insurance? Who are you insured by? How is that working? Right. And is a lot a lot of these services just being done because they out of necessity, or are these people coming in with insurance coverage?
0: We haven't really looked at that uh, sort of financial data acutely um, yet. Um, I guess I get the sense that most people are coming in and they're and they're covered by insurance, and certainly the billing um, will. Uh, um, go through a, the the same process that it normally would Certain, you know all the technical details you have to create new codes and those types of things in order for the, the, the billing to work um, Certainly we've seen um, you know uh, insurers enable that the testing to uh, come without co-pays um, but I, it's really um, it's really a patient volume issue right when we um, stopped the non-essential Surgeries. That's just a lot of people who are not coming to the hospital any longer, mm-hmm. and you're not replacing those people as quickly with, um, you know, with other services. And and it's because for the very real reason that we want to make sure we do have the space as the number of COVID patients increases.
1: And this has been a, a very um, closely coordinated project with, you know, all the legislation and you know the governor's response to all of these things. Talk to us a little bit about of how the House in Connecticut are are preparing and, you know, sort of reacting to Governor Lamont's um,
0: suggestions or mandates on COVID-19? I would label it less a response than a partnership. I mean, we have Mm -hmm. um, worked in very close partnership with the governor um, and his administration um, uh, on any number of uh, issues that we've had to work through um, in order to sort of... um, uh, both prepare and then respond to the crisis, and I'll just give you one example. So, um, like all of us, uh, many of us with small children, right? School is out. Childcare has been in flux, and not only is our folks being asked to come to sort of work if you're working at a hospital, but you're also having to sort of manage your um, your home life too, right? So, um, we worked very closely with uh, Commissioner uh, uh, Best Buy's office. Um, to try to figure out how do we help these hospital employees with their child care needs. And um, so the state and set up a hotline. She's in charge of early childhood. Yeah. That's right. So she's the commissioner of early childhood, and um, and, and we work directly with their staff to um, look at, assess the hospital need for child care. Um, they set up a hotline. Um, we mm-hmm. have connected with some child care providers that may have seen. A decrease in the number of kids that they were providing care to because parents were just home um, but it's those types of things where we've been working directly with the state to deal with those needs that you may not necessarily um, as an outside observer consider right you think of a hospital that the care it provides but you have to also think about all the um, needs that the um, sort of staff requires in order to provide that real real care
2: so paul we've seen a lot of or if you haven't you know, our listeners have probably experienced this, that there's, there's a lot of remote medicine that's happening right now. Um, you know, I know my doctor, if, if I've got an issue, we're going to talk on the phone or we're going to FaceTime or whatever works. Um, how does that seem to be going? Because
0: let's face it, there are yeah. people
2: out there with healthcare needs other than COVID-19.
0: A- absolutely. And boy, um, we've, all, we've had a real renaissance, right, in telemedicine in the last um, couple of weeks. Um, people who probably didn't have any idea that it existed um, uh, a couple weeks ago now, like you said, might be talking to their primary care uh, physician um, using a telemedicine. Um, now in the hospital, it's, a, it's, a, it's slightly different, and it's, it's really important, frankly, um, where you have a disease that certainly can be passed um, uh, amongst people very easily. Um, what we've been using uh, sort of telemedicine for is uh, so that healthcare. care uh, providers can sort of remain outside of uh, a room if they, if they, to sort of check in on a patient or to assess a patient so that they're not having to go in and have that sort of direct patient uh, contact that could put that, them at risk. Um, certainly, there are many cases where you're going to have to have that direct patient contact, but where you can avoid it, you can both use telemedicine to give that appropriate patient care. You're also preserving the protective equipment that we are all trying to preserve, um, uh, so that we can sort of keep up with the demand of patients. Um, you know, some of the telemedicine. Uh, you know, there were a lot of rules around <laughs> before this telemedicine, and um, the federal government and both the state government have been very good around um, assessing those rules. Sort of what made what what made sense then, and what makes sense what doesn't make sense now um, in a new world where. We really do need to rely on that remote medicine. And so they've acted very aggressively um, to take down some of those barriers so that those opportunities for telemedicine um, are more apparent and can be uh, used uh, sort of advantageously.
1: You've been talking about all the PPE. I know at The Connection, not at hospital means uh, or a medical office, but we are a human service agency with uh, many clients that we serve um, and a good number of in our residential treatment facilities. Um, so our staff are sort of front-lined with these folks right now and, and trying to stay healthy and safe and keep the clients uh, healthy and safe as well. So we have been offering PPE, uh, personal protective uh, equipment, and having difficulties um, just obtaining it now. So we are actually uh, sort of sewing our own masks and you know improvising wherever we can um, we do have some equipment but uh, we're trying to make it stretch as well um, sort of what's what's the challenge in that for you at the hospitals um, in terms of not having that equipment I know we've we've heard about that nationally as being an issue uh, with this pandemic nobody really um, you know has the supplies how are you handling that and uh, you know is there hope that uh, we're going to get those supplies at some point that we need
0: yeah, I, so um, it's so critically important, right? I mean, the safety of the healthcare workers are number one priority in all of this, um, bec- just for their own personal health and safety, but also because honestly, we we need them uh, to treat these patients, and um, so we need to keep them healthy. And um, so the availability of PPE is uh, is something certainly that we're concerned about. You know, hospitals have um, implemented some policies to try to conserve. Um, the use of the PPE, um, um, like I said, we use the sort of telemedicine um, aspects to, to, to limit contact with um, patients that might be able to, would transmit the disease. Um, we are looking at uh, um, processes that would allow us to um, sterilize, of so those N95 masks, which are those mm. masks you've been hearing about a lot, um, and, and so safely like reuse them. They are like gold, um, and they're so they're critically important when you're, um, you know, in contact with a patient who is uh, COVID nineteen positive. Um, certainly, uh, they've been looking at ways to uh, extend the use of the PPE, so um, safely extend the use of the PPE. Um, you know, but it is that it's a challenge I, from the hospital association's perspective. We what we have tried to do is you can imagine we have started to get. Um, hundreds of, which is a good thing, hundreds of um, inquiries uh, from manufacturers, distributors, buyers, sellers um, who have PPE or just to, to sell or to, to donate in some instances. And what we've tried to do for our hospitals is, uh, in working with the state, sort of become a clearinghouse for that information. So we, with the state, run down leads, try to decipher you know who who the appropriate leads are and who who are not, and then uh, get those out to the hospitals um, for their in for, for their information. Um, because there are people out there who who uh, do do have some PPE available, and and we want to um, make sure our hospitals are connected to that. I will say another really um, uh, important thing to note here, and it's um, I think people get it, but I really want to um, emphasize it is uh, the the just the generosity of connecticut's residents and businesses in all of this i mean they have been extraordinary where businesses are looking to see do i have any n95 masks that i can donate do i have any surgical masks that i can uh donate and and that has been uh, really a wonderful um process and the state has set up uh, through two-on-one a system where um you can if you have something you need to would like to donate you can contact them but um, and, and we work with the uh, Connecticut, uh, so the CBIA, um, uh, with the association that represents businesses in the state, uh, to partner with them to try to locate some of those donations. And that's just been a—it's it, it's not surprising, um, but it, it's uh, wonderful nonetheless.
2: Absolutely, we
1: received we received a wonderful donation ourselves.
2: Small donation, not you know
1: hospital worthy, but small donation of masks and gowns and gloves from Porter and Chester Institute, which is a the, um they have a nursing program and they're not able to be in school right now. Um so they had a small amount of supplies to donate and we were very fortunate and very thankful to get uh those for for our staff um to be using those, distributing those and, and using those next week. But uh, you know, it's those are Ace when you can get your hands on some of
2: those things absolutely yep uh, Paul the other thing I wanted to ask is how how is Connecticut doing how are we doing you know compared to other states how are our hospitals faring our healthcare care system um, you know what are some of the highs and some of the lows right now
0: sure and I, I think depending on where you are in the state you sort of feel this a little bit differently right um, if you're in uh, Fairfield County, uh, close to the New York border, um, where there are an, an, uh, um, larger outbreaking cases or more hospitalized patients, um, I, you know you're 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 probably feeling a little bit different than if you if you live in Tallinn County, right, where there are are not as many cases. Um, I will say that, uh, and 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 so the the. Strain on the hospitals and the systems, dependent on where they are in the state, is, is different, um, and, and based on that, uh, just the number of cases they have and the, and the people who are coming in, and um, I think that it is it, what really is remarkable is how um, quickly our state's hospitals have adapted to the need of the patients coming in, and so they are very quickly um, creating new space to treat to treat patients. They are um, learning more and more about the disease every day and how to how to treat patients. I think one of the nice stories here is that we are you know patients are being discharged. you know they're coming into the hospital with covid they're inpatient, and they're being discharged as healthy individuals um, as as we compare to the rest of the country, you know um, uh, I, I think it's we're sort of um, you know we're it's not new York City uh, certainly, but there are parts of. Fairfield County, where it certainly is very intense. I think our hospitals are, are faring uh, really well, but they're, um, you know, they're it's a strain um, because this is unprecedented, right? And um, they're they're doing uh, as best they can uh, to both sort of uh, manage the um, patients that they're uh, that are coming in now, and and for those who don't have a, a high patient load right now uh just getting ready um um and i I will say this one of the things the really important things i should have said to start is that and the the governor has emphasized this is that we're sort of working as one um sort of one connecticut hospital system and we are working together to understand the needs of fellow hospitals and make sure they have what they need um uh, when they need it and I, I, i think that coordination Um, is extremely important. And that's one of the roles that the hospital association plays is we are um, helping to make sure that, um, you know, those hospitals are communicating um, regularly, that um, everyone understands um, what everyone else is dealing with at the time and what their needs are. So um, that's an important uh, story in all of this.
2: We're speaking with Paul Kidwell from the Connecticut Hospital Association. From the inside, looking out what is your best piece of advice where we're at today with people who are listening to this program we know we should wash our hands we know we should wear masks what can you tell us maybe that we haven't already been told or haven't thought about
0: i, I guess my best piece of advice is um please do follow the governor's guidance on stay home and stay healthy it is extremely important um in um seeing the disease sort of flatten, that we remain distant from each other for, um, for this period of time. And I will say it on behalf of everyone who works at a hospital. Um, these are folks who are going uh, to the hospital to do their job for um, all of our families and friends. And the best thing we can do for them is to uh, follow that guidance, stay home, stay healthy, um and it's it's really the number one way that we're gonna see sort of this dissipate over time.
2: I think you mentioned it, you know, Paul, we've all seen it T V, we've seen it locally, regionally and nationally. I don't think that anybody has more respect right now than for our healthcare workers, our first responders, um, you know, our police officers and all the folks who are on the front lines of this. So it's good to know that there is an organization like the Connecticut Hospital Association because you know, you need sometimes you need that glue to keep everything together. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. And that's appreciated.
0: Well, uh, thanks so much for having me on. And um, we're only a small part. And uh, we just are in awe of the um, uh, hospitals we get to represent and especially the the staff at those hospitals who are uh, um, really just fighting every day um, on the front lines of this, uh, this crisis. And I would just say, uh, if, you, if you get a chance to see one, um say thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, say thank you to them. and uh, but again, best thing you can do right now is stay home, stay healthy, and uh, we'll we'll make it through this together.
2: Well, continued luck with you and your family staying safe in washington, d c. and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in Connecticut hopefully soon. I can't wait to be there. All right. <laughs> thank you so much, Paul Kidwell so from much. the Thank you, Paul, from the Connecticut Hospital Bye-bye. Association. So on behalf of myself and Beth Connor, we want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080.
1: The audio platform with something for everyone.
0: News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. clock at four. Doncic. The step back
2: three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes,
1: and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.